Hey everybody, this is John at Ubaldi Report, the one website that provides fact, not fiction, as regarding issues faced in America, whether globally or domestically. And with me is my three co-hosts, Joe Bitts, retired combat Marine of Iraq, a Marine Corps veteran Ray Krause, and myself. I also served in combat. This website provides fact, not fiction. But coming from three enlisted Marines who want who are concerned about what's going on in their country. And it seems like we're getting close. We're less than two weeks away from the midterm elections. And we've seen a lot of the debates happen, it's, which is weird because there's only been like the debate with John Fetterman and Merritt Oz, the running for Senate in Pennsylvania. They're just holding one debate for one hour. The it was abhorrent, that debate. It was, but you, they had to do a debate. And I give them at least Fetterman credit, unlike the gubernatorial candidate in Arizona, Hobbs, who is not debating um, Kerry Lake. So, but I mean, Fetterman, I think the Democrats made a big mistake. They could have had somebody else. I understand he had a stroke, and I'm not trying to pile on that here's a person who had a stroke, but you're running for U.S. Senate. I mean, if he's having trouble with his cognitive ability because of his stroke, and we really don't know his medical history now he said his doctors cleared him but no one's asked the doctors any questions nobody has seen his medical history we just don't know we're just going on his word and he was asked some poignant questions one of the biggest one is he said he was now supporting fracking where two years ago he was against it so these are issues americans are facing they're facing higher energy prices higher fuel costs as we go to into the winter months, you're facing higher gasoline, obviously higher grocery prices, supply chain bottlenecks. And the candidates from the Democratic side don't seem to have an answer. It's like when Kathy Hochul debated um, the Republican challenger, Lee Zeldin, and she was scoffed at some of the issues. Like, we did everything. What do you mean? And it just seems like they're not addressing the issues what America's wants. They're just focused on abortion. Yeah, and what if we take a look at the fact that they're, you're slowly starting to see what the Democrats are offering, and it's not... They think that they were just going to walk in with those candidates, and it just seems to that the Republicans, are in a sense, are bringing their A-game versus the Democrats, which are like, oh, they'll, they'll, we're under a Biden administration. We're blue. We're just going to bring them in. It doesn't seem like they're not even trying. Well, I think what they also did, they tried to demonize and they tried to make this election a referendum on Trump because a lot of the candidates were backed by Donald Trump. But Donald Trump isn't on the ballot. And they made, they tried to make these candidates as extremists. And then when they got to the debate and when they traveled around their prospective states, people started to realize, wow, you're not as bad as I thought you were. And there was one Democratic individual. She was a lifelong Democrat. She said, abortion is an important issue to me. But in New York, it's been codified into law. So no matter what the Republicans do, they can't change it because you would have to change the law. But other issues are just as equally, if not more important, like how am I going to feed my family as I go into the holidays? How am I going to pay rent? What about rising fuel prices, even though they say it's coming down, but you, fuel oil is going up. Well, also, I mean, they just—they were talking about how we're right now 25 days away from or 
running out of our diesel? Yeah, and here's another issue. President Biden is all again tapping the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. One, that's not the reason the Strategic Petroleum Reserve was set up. It was set up if there was a natural disaster, there was emergency overseas, there was war, conflict. It wasn't set up to appease a political party to make sure it's not as painful at the pump for the voters. But also it's interesting, President Biden stated that he will begin to refill the Strategic Petroleum Reserve when oil drops down to $70 a barrel. Well, in 2020, when they were passing the COVID relief packages, Donald Trump added a couple billion dollars to refill the Strategic Petroleum Reserve to its top level, to top off the tanks. And that's when oil was going at $24 a barrel. Yeah. But Chuck Schumer, then the majority, the, the, what do you call it, the minority leader, he pulled it. He said, we're not doing that. We're not going to do a giveaway to the, uh, the oil company. So mm. now we're going to fill it at $70 a barrel? Oh, that makes sense. So all these issues are impacting Americans. I mean, I, went, I go to the grocery store, and I'm sure you do the same. The last couple of weeks, I've gone into the store, and you look at the dairy section. It's pretty much empty. I walk by just on purpose to see how where it is. I walk by the baby formula aisle. There's still a shortage of baby formula. This is months. I mean, literally eight, nine months after they shut down the plant. So these crises aren't going away. Yeah. They're just getting worse. And it seems like President Biden just doesn't seem to have an answer. Now we're finding out a couple of the unions have rejected the brokered agreement that President Biden touted in September. And it looks like if everything plays out, there could be a rail strike on the 19th of November, right before the main holiday season kicks off. What do you think? Even one day would put a huge disruption into the economy. And it just seems the Biden administration only answer is abortion or demonize the other side. And if you watch some of the Democratic campaign commercials, it's all reflective on abortion. That's their number one issue is abortion. Donald Trump or January 6th. They're, the Democrats are working at the fear-mongering point of it where they're like, they're going to take your rights away as a woman when it comes to abortion. But that seems like the only thing that they have. I think when people come to the polls, it's going to be like, okay, that's that one thing, but everything else, they're going to be Well, it's bread and butter issues. But even when it comes to abortion, they're, they demonize the Republicans Abortion's never been illegal. All the Supreme Court said is that abortion's illegal at the national level, and they kicked it back to the states. So each state gets to do it themselves. Even when Kansas, because the Republicans overreached and wanted a very tight ban, the Kansas voters said, no, we're not doing that. So, so each state has the opportunity to decide for themselves. Do you believe in abortion after 15 weeks? Do you believe in late-term abortions? Do you believe a minor can have abortion? And most, when they push these extremist views, most Americans who support abortion are against it. They don't believe you should have an abortion a week prior to giving birth. So, so we basically said on the federal level that the people can speak about this. Well, the, what the court said is not just at the federal level. They said, you at the state, 
get back to what the framers initially wanted, all these social issues would be decided at the state level because when Roe versus Wade passed in 1973, it codified that said Roe was legal, but it never went into the details. Okay, so when would someone be able to get an abortion? When would somebody be able not to get an abortion? And when you ask President Biden and you ask his, his press secretary, they never come up with an answer. What point would you support, would not support someone getting an abortion? And that's where the Republicans have turned the tables. Like, okay, this is my view. What's your view? When would you not support someone getting an abortion? But the real issue Americans are facing is, like we said at the beginning of this, you go to the grocery store, higher, gra- higher grocery prices. You go to the gas station, higher gas prices, even though it's come down a little bit. It's still a, a buck something, buck 50, buck 75 higher than it was when Joe Biden took office. Then you're now we're getting into the winter months. I feel for those up in the Northeast, up in the upper Midwest and other parts of the United States, you're paying far higher fuel prices this year than you did last year. And as you mentioned, we have a shortage of diesel. Everything runs that moves goods and services primarily runs on diesel. So what do we, and then what are we gonna do on the 19th of November if everything goes the way it seems to be going and the unions reject the deal and we go, they go on strike? There's not enough truckers to move all the goods and services. Then what are we gonna do? So John, we got a question. Hopefully I said this right. It's the bad and a man. Hopefully I said that right. Higher prices all over the world. Biden do that too? Question mark. One of the reasons why prices are so high all over the world is what we're facing here. High energy costs. The reason why you're seeing higher prices in Europe is because they went through a total agenda. They got rid of their nuclear power plants or coal, their natural gas. And they went strictly to a green technology, and that's shown they cannot produce enough energy to power the world. I mean, beyond just putting gas in our vehicles, fossil fuels is used in everything you touch, everything you use, everything you consume. You put the clothes on. That's part of there's fossil fuel in that. You drive your car. Even the windmills and the solar panels is made from fossil fuel. So when fuel prices go up because demand is shot up, but the supply hasn't kept pace, that means goods and services cost more. That, and when, with the prolific spending we've seen, there goes inflation. So with the, Europe is facing it just the same as we are. John, so maybe let's just say the Democratic Party for the midterms, is they're in a nosedive. What can they do to pull this up and just try to save whatever they can Well, with the candidates that that they have because there there has to be a little bit more they should like i mean i remember asking you this before was that when are they going to realize that they need to do something and you said when the problem is usually when you make a correction is when you get just spanked at the polls republicans have gone through it democrats have gone through it years ago you start to readjust you start to look at things if it plays out the way we think it's going to play out and it's a major red wave, you're going to see a civil war in the Democratic Party. You're going to see the moderates who are left, maybe even the moderates who are outside the party, outside the establishment of the party. They're not in power anymore. They're going to go at it with Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, and the squad and the progressive element 
because they forced him into positions that doesn't have over 50% support. None of the positions that the Democrats are pushing have over 50% support. Otherwise, they would be they would be doing much better than they are now. Because they're, and it's interesting, their policies don't work. And the American people are feeling their policy, but they're not feeling it because they're exempt from their own ideology. It's just like with on Monday, and I'll just tap in, I don't want to spend too much time on this, like education. I've mentioned this numerous times, what an educational assessment came out on Monday. This is the nation's report card. Comes out every two years. And it showed our the test scores plummeted. Seven, per, seven points in math across the country, which is virtually a lot year's lost earnings. My brother's I got two nieces and a nephew in California. His kids were stuck at home. One of his kids is has dyslexia like I do. She needed that extra attention. She didn't get it. But Governor Newsom, a Democrat, conveniently locks the state of California's kids down. But his kids were in public, I mean, private school and get in-person learning. So it just seems like all these issues is one issue for one rule for you. But another for me, you got Mark Zuckerberg flies in his little private jet. He spews more carbon emissions and more carbon footprint than a family or a couple families or dozens of family do in their lifetime. So I'm going to take this question. The Hitch 22 renewable energy already powers entire countries. Which one? I would just like to ask, which country does renewable energy power their entire country. They use nothing, but they do not use fossil fuel. Which country is that? I like him to say Germany because that's totally wrong. <laughs> Europe is far ahead of us in the use of renewable energy, and they cannot meet their energy needs. That's why Germany is moving to coal fire plants and wood-burning stoves and wood-burning energy sources because they're not getting the natural gas that they were coming in from Russia. When a previous administration told Europe you guys are going to be held hostage one day, sooner now we're out right there right now, and we could sell you all the liquefied natural gas, which is far cleaner for the environment than mining all the lithium, cobalt, all the stuff that goes into building those batteries for those electric vehicles. So is there anything that, like, going back is, like, what can the Democratic Party, like, maybe do to maybe garner some more votes in the last, like, in the... In the 11th hour. Right now, there's nothing they can do to change the... It's like turning the carrier around. It's too late now. The only way they would be saved if there's some scandal or event that puts it into the forefront that takes the economy off the table, like a conflict of some sort that was unforeseen, or if one of the major candidates of the Republican Party in the various states a scandal erupts. I would be skeptical of that because I think the media by now would have found something in the background. Unless they, but the, no strokes though. If anybody has a stroke, they're not going to rule them out or, because they're good to go, right? The or other thing FBI, that could happen uh, is it could be the Kavanaugh effect. Remember, Brett Kavanaugh met with all the senators, met with Diane Feinstein, who never relayed the to him that she had a letter from a, a Democratic congresswoman that said that Christine Blasey Ford was sexually assaulted by him. She dropped it at the last second, and Kavanaugh and the Republicans fought it off because there was no evidence to back that up. That could be something like that. It would be like a hit piece at the last minute where the candidate, remember, 
in 2004, there was a hit piece against George W. Bush came out on a Friday before the election about his service in the Air National Guard. Well, then they looked at the letter. It had a different font that wasn't available at that period. So it could be something like that. But at this point, anything that Democrats do on a policy-wide, there would be nothing they can do to turn the ship around this quick. So what can we expect going into, like, next week? I mean, because so it would be two weeks from now are are going to be the midterms. It's two weeks. Right now There's it's all about to get out the vote because of early voting. Florida is one of those. You can – it's just getting your people out, getting the independents out, and still keep pushing your message about what you would do differently than the Biden administration. And the Democrat at this point, their message is to show – how bad it would be under the Republicans. And it depends where people go from there. And we're following Congress and we're following the Senate race as well. But what other um, maybe gubernatorial or gubernatorial races? Okay, hold on one second. Why is it not called gubernatorial with a V, not gubernatorial with a U? That just just threw me off completely. Like, welcome to the gubernatorial. I'm like, you say (laughs) gubernatorial? There's a couple races. There's a gubernatorial race up in uh, Wisconsin. You have, obviously, down in Arizona. New York. You have Florida. You have New York, Pennsylvania. Gubernatorials are crucial is... Because let's say one party controls, let's say Florida. If Governor DeSantis looks like he'll win his race, he will control, obviously, the state of Florida. But when it comes to presidential elections, with your party controlling that, you control a lot of the power of in that state. Mm-hmm. It's a big, big plus there. You can get things done. You can move your state to your to the that party's column. So it's just, it just plays a factor. Yeah. So going in with that, what... What are we going to expect, like changes-wise, what are we going to see when it comes to having a majority a Republic, or a majority red Senate and a, okay, having a red Senate, I want to say it's majority, we're probably going to get it by one or two seats, and a Congress, how's that, is that, are we just going to be in the stalemate with the president? It'll be in or? A, way, a couple ways, it'll be almost like a replication of when President Obama lost the House and the Senate in 2010 and 2014, he took a different approach than when Bill Clinton got shellacked in 94. Bill Clinton ran very left, and then he lost, and then he triangulated to the center and co-opted a lot of Republican issues. And that saved him in, 90, in 96, and he won re-election. Barack Obama took the opposite approach. He just said, I'm going to use a pen in the, a pen in the phone, I'm going to do what I want, the hell with you. What the Republicans can do, they're going to have the power of the purse so they can stop funding a lot of President Biden's initiatives. And one of the big things that President Biden has is the regulatory state. The regulations that he has ushered in almost quadrupled anything that President Obama did. And this puts a big burden on business. And there was one element that they put in I think it was like almost nine or ten trillion dollars of regulation. That's equal to almost the number six country, like the country of Germany's GDP, is how much regulation is put in through the economy. So, so, but only thing the Republicans do is just stop funding some of these agencies to stop some of these regulations from getting the funding they need. Okay, so if we have like a Senate for like confirmation and stuff like that, and say, God forbid, knock on wood, as I'm knocking right now, 
one of the justices pass or they resign, is it more dangerous to, say, have only six at the time until we can fill that seat when a Republican jumps in, the, in there? Or is it just best to have one that goes back over to, like, the, on a, their liberal side? Well, that could be a replication when Antonio Scalia died at the last part of the Obama administration. Mitch McConnell, I mean, Merrick Garland was appointed by Barack Obama. The Republicans refused to have him do a confirmation hearing. It was, it was what do you call it? It was, there was nine, there was, it was evenly split. So the, you didn't have a tiebreaker. That was the reason you have nine, you get a yeah. tiebreaker. So they couldn't, some things that weren't majority, they could do, but if it was split and they, they didn't have a tiebreaker, you had four on four, so you didn't. You needed that fifth vote. So a lot of the rulings couldn't be ruled on. They would just, it was just accepted at the lower courts. So we'll have to see what happens. I'm hoping that's not the case, because we're very polarized at this point, and I hate to go through another. I mean, look at the confirmations we've had the last few years. They've been just ball buster and brutal, and I don't want to see the country go through that. I'm just hoping that. And I know hope isn't a strategy if the Republicans do take both branches, that at least President Biden will just realize the vote, the voters spoke, meaning let's come together to solve the nation's problems. And no, that's deem- not going to be the case. But, we're going to go into a recession. And he's going to blame the Republicans. Well, for yeah, it because-, because I read an op-ed he wrote in CNN today. And he basically blamed the Republicans for almost everything. MAGA Republicans. That's not a way to bring people to your side. I mean, when Bill Clinton lost the House and the Senate, as much as I disagree with Bill Clinton, he never dis- he never insulted openly the Republican leadership. It was ironic when Barack Obama lost the House in 2010. He never even had the phone number of the Senate, I mean, the House now incoming House Speaker, which was John Boehner, they had to go to the Clintons to get the phone number for John Boehner, which tells me that they just thought we can do what we want. So hopefully this means the sides come together because the American people don't want division. They just want inflation back to where it was. They want lower gas prices, lower food prices. They want their their lives getting better, not worse. So when it comes to voting, say you can't 100% support your candidate on your side, do you vote for them anyway, or do you just not vote? For me personally? Yeah. I vote. I'm not going to agree on everything with every candidate. Like, okay, I voted for Mitt Romney. I didn't agree with a lot of things that he stood economically or even foreign policy. But I didn't like the I didn't like the alternative what I was getting with Barack Obama. So, well, so there what, are things that I may not agree with everything, but you have to look at the totality of all the things. I get most of what I'm gonna get, and then I'll work on the other things later. Like Ronald Reagan said, I can get if I get eighty percent what I want, I'm happy, and I'll work on the other twenty percent later. Now, Ray, what about you? Where do you stand when it comes to like voting? If the candidate is not for you, or Say the candidate's just utter trash. Do you not vote for that per- particular person, or do you just defer to your maybe where you lean? I really look at the topics and see what fits best for me, and 
I have switched back and forth to Democrat and Republican because I feel like what I feel is most effective. And I have gone both ways, but I've never really gone to a third party. But I got to tell you, <laughs> it's getting close to where I'm like, maybe sometimes the libertarian is the better option. Well, well, the, but. but see, the thing on that, I mean, I have nothing against the libertarian party because a lot of times the parties will co-opt the other third parties. The problem is... When the, the Whig Party, this is in the 19th century, collapsed, and then the Republican, it took a little couple of elections, the Republican Party took over or formed, and they formed a new party. It's different today. To get on the ballot as a third party, you have to have a percentage of the votes to your party in the, gubernat- the previous gubernatorial elections. So to get a third party up there, it's very hard. The problem with our electoral system is we don't challenge the candidates. I mean, right now, I mean, I don't care what anybody says, and there's going to be people on this podcast who disagree with me. The media is not a fair arbitrator of the issues facing America. They don't ask the tough questions. They don't investigate the key issues revolving. Like when they say we can provide, this isn't going to cost anything, we all know that's a bold-faced lie. Nothing is free. Like somebody is paying. Like when President Biden says, I'm going to forgive student loan debt, this will not cost. That's the same issue President Obama said when they nationalized the student loan crisis debt issue in 2010, which was a problem then. But he just put it on steroids. He said, this won't cost us anything. We'll save this much money. That was false. Just like Obamacare was supposed to save money, it's cost billions upon billions every year. But the media doesn't hold the candidates or the party. They just choose who they support. And if they look at the candidates, I mean, if they look at their own ethics, be the accuracy of their work, that's gone. Being objective, that's gone. So they're almost a tool of one party. We're seeing how they suppressed stories during the 2020 election, and they're continually to do that. Well, I think politics is definitely, it's hardball. It is. I don't it's think very hardball. There's no way around that. But I mean, I've always liked the guy who can prove his point and gets to his point and wants to prove what he's doing. And I think, especially since I grew up, my first president like that I seen that kind of changed everything was Obama because I was in high school and we started to understand how things started to work in the country. And I have to say that, like, the left has always brought this green energy and, you know, that's the future and stuff like that. But we're watching it fail in front of us. So why continue to push something that isn't working right now? But I think the problem is under the Democratic leadership, Democrats in general, I always like history. I love history. I'm sure you guys know that. So I always look at bios. If you look at the Democratic Party... The vast majority of them, and I'm just throwing this percentage out, I would say 70% of the Democratic Party has never done anything outside of government. They've spent their whole life either in government or academia, the two areas. The last president that ran a business or who was not a lawyer was Jimmy Carter. And then before that, you have to go back to Harry Truman. So, I mean, as much as people disparage Donald Trump, He ran a business. Now, there was times he wasn't successful. I run a business. Joe runs a business. You run a business. There are times you will not be successful. 
Today, I just learned the place I got my truck fixed at a couple weeks ago, the guy went out of business. And we come to find out that he had some financial issues that related to the shutdown. He just tried to get ahead of it. And then he couldn't get enough employees to keep his business operating. So what happens to him? All the money he put into it, he doesn't get that back. Right. Like President Biden. He's been in the Senate since January of 1973. If you're listening into this podcast, if you were born after that, he's been in government longer than you were alive. And I was in third grade, so he doesn't know what it's like to raise capital, start a business, hire employees, keep it going, deal with the minutia of government regulation and all the government tech. He just got his paycheck twice, once a month he got paid, free medical, free vacations, all this stuff. All these advisors of advising him have never run a business. Janet Yellen's never run a business. She's a theoretical economist. We need theory, but we also need people who have practical experience in running things. Look at foreign policy. All these people who run U.S. foreign policy never done anything. You can see the debacle. I mean, they ridiculed Trump, but is this is what they expected? We're at the precipice of a nuclear war with Russia, potential war with China, Potential conflict with Iran is this is what these are the experts are supposed to bring us. And they were the one they all the people were talking about. They said Trump was going to do all of. Yeah. And these were (laughs) but the media also put this out. This was the most experienced administration in history or at least in the modern era. And what do we've got? We were told inflation was transitory. Oh, it will only last till the fall of last year. Well, now it's permanent. And they have no end in sight. We were also told that we know what's going on in foreign policy. Trust us. We're in the precipice of a nuclear war and a hot war with China. We failed miserably in Afghanistan. So tell me what success Joe Biden has on foreign policy. I feel zombies are right around the corner. I I mean, (laughs) I mean, unlike what happened in England, where they replaced their leader because of either incompetence or they lost a vote of confidence we got two more years of joe biden so are we gonna have are we gonna run an 81 or 82 year old man for president seems like it who's got cognitive at least we don't know because we don't know what his cognitive decline is the very person you we're talking about supports a guy that has a had a stroke so you're damn right they're going to support an 81, 82-year-old president. Okay, but look at that. John Fetterman had a stroke. And I'm not trying to diminish his – I want him to get better. I don't want any ill will on anybody. But he had a stroke, and he has to have a closed-caption screen. He has trouble understanding certain words. He has trouble communicating. How is he going to do that in the U.S. Senate when he has to understand, he has to communicate, he has to debate, he has to do various things? I'm not saying somebody who has a cognitive problem can't do that job, but is this the best person they could have gotten? Or do they just do that because they want power instead of, hey, Mr. Fetterman, maybe this isn't the best time for you to run. Maybe you need to run when you're better healed. We still don't know his medical records. Look what they did to Donald Trump. They wanted his cognitive test and then they had ronnie jackson who was a doctor for both george w bush jr obama and trump and he was up there for an hour and a half being grilled why hasn't the same thing being done to 
Joe Biden or John Fetterman. I have a question for you because we're all military here. We're all Marines, actually. And I think I'm not shocked. But my question to you is, what's the difference between Saigon and Kabul? You had the it's, same politicians as back then uh, as you did now. And I mean... But it, I think your answer is going this way, or at least my response would be, there's no difference between Saigon and Kabul. So then it's, what's... So here's Basically, my we had the same problem. We had arrogance, failed policy, failed strategy, not knowing what we were getting into, and we repeated the same mistake. You fought, you don't understand history, you're going to repeat it. So here's my follow-up question to that. Our enemies are watching us right now. What are we going to do differently if there is something to occur? But see, the enemy are watching us, and we're very predictable. If you remember Sun Tzu, the military Chinese strategist is be unpredictable. The way to win a war is not fight a war. But our enemies has followed how we fight, how we operate, how we do things. Are we finding out, like I did an article about the military is not prepared for the next conflict. We're so caught up in woke policies, changing bases, doing diversity, equity, and inclusion training at the expense of war fighting. The military's role is, the mission of the military is to defend the homeland and prevent war. Are we understanding how China f fights? Do we understand the Chinese military thought process and strategy? How are they armed? How are they organized? How, are they, how do they do things? How do the Chinese military fight? The last time China fought, in a major engagement was against Vietnam in 1978. But are we prepared, like there was a naval exercise last year. There was a retired Navy Admiral and a retired Marine General. They wargamed it, we got our asses kicked. Are we prepared, are we putting the resources where we need to, but we're underfunding areas where we should fund and we're overfunding areas we shouldn't fund. So we just need, we need a strategy, and we're not getting it. All right. Hey, John, so how can they go ahead and get a hold of us? They can get a hold of us by going to ubaldireports at gmail.com. That's ubaldireports at gmail.com. Or you can track us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, definitely TikTok, all the social media things, and just let us know what you think. And we're going to be doing this again next week prior to the midterm and then the, the night after the midterm we're going to be doing another a podcast there so we can probably give the results and give our analysis and see what see what happened but keep letting us know keep following ubaldi reports and we'll go from there now joe will have some other things we want to highlight so ray if they want to get a hold of you not too many talk we weren't talking too much about second amendment issues but if they do how can they get a hold of you you can get a hold of me at raymond.aags at gmail.com and we could talk anything second amendment related gun control the future here in our midterms it'll play a part with all the major bills that have gone through and i'm also a notary so if you need anything notarized in the state of florida hit me up and you can join Ray and I on All American Gunslingers. We do that on TikTok. We do that on all our streaming platforms. So if you want to catch us, you can catch us on All American Gunslingers. If you want to email us, you can email us at allamericangunslingers at gmail.com. It's a little bit more of a different show different than, is right. than you Baldy Reports, but it's nonetheless a little bit more, I wouldn't say entertaining, but it's a definitely, we get away from the politics, but we just harp on, or we just look at booze, cigars, guns, 
and just normal everyday guy life. Basically, so. all the devil's fun toys. <laughs> so, all right, everybody, you have a great night, and we will talk to you soon. All right, till next time, keep listening to Ubaldi Reports.